I'm Mark Walsh, and coming up on today's show... If there is some sort of a crisis, we call it news jacking. Like, let's say that there's something that takes place in the marketplace, and we want to—we don't want to look like ambulance chasers, but we also know that there's an opportunity to get our clients' thought leadership out there. Then we, yes, we would—we would create a team. Welcome to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast. What's Working Washington? I'm your host, Mark Walsh, along here with Tracy Madigan, our producer. And we're excited today to welcome Elizabeth Shea, an old friend of the DMV as far as marketing and PR. She's the executive vice president for public relations at agency REQ. She's been around the block, and I say that for a very young woman. She's surprisingly well-versed in all of the chapters about public relations for both business-to-business arena, business-to-government arena, and a little bit of business-to-consumer. We talk about all sorts of things that you might be interested in, like artificial intelligence. How is that changing what people think about in public relations? We talked about how leaks in government agencies and clients that have them, how do you handle that from sort of a crisis perspective? And we talk about Mindshare and some other arenas here in the Washington area that combine CEOs of tech companies and other types of companies to have them compare lessons learned and get better at their jobs. She is a real veteran with fantastic stories to tell and lots for you to learn from. Here's our conversation. It's great to have you with us. Thank you. It's great to be here. So REQ uh, handles lots of different types, but you as a public relations executive, been, you've been around the block. I know that your personal focus tends to be B2B, as they say, or B2G. Correct. A uh, couple of things are happening in, in, in those two <laughs> arenas. So um, one thing I guess we would start with is uh, how do companies that service the government deal with some of the crazy things that are happening, like hacks and information security and stuff like that. I, I, we both know the U.S. government can be difficult to deal with. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't say difficult. Can be a challenge to deal with. But what are some of the issues that you and your clients are seeing in today's government as a client versus maybe 5, 10, 15, 25 years ago? Well, I would say a lot has changed in the last 25 years, and it's been about 25 years since I started the agency, my agency. Um, we were acquired by REQ about four years ago. Congratulations. Would, thank you. Yes. Um, I would say that from a B2G perspective, a lot of the government agencies are really struggling with digital transformation. Yep. And so with that comes cybersecurity risks. And so our goal is to try to get our clients exposure to um, with some thought leadership, help drive thought leadership and what it means to be thinking about cybersecurity. What does it mean to be thinking about digital transformation? Um, what about mobility, 5G, now with people working from home? How is that going to impact the worker? So, um, you know, there's a brain drain within the government agency. So how do we make sure that we're positioning our clients so that they're well suited to be applicable for the government marketplace? You know, uh, I had a little stint, as you may recall, the Small Business Administration, yes, which, which was one of the few agencies I used to make a joke that I didn't think was very funny, that wasn't a monopoly. A lot of the agencies are actually monopolies, right? And, mm-hmm. and I think sometimes, to your point on the brain drain, the, the career employees sometimes forget that they are a monopoly. Like you have to go for a license at this place and they can say yes or no. So for digital transformation, do you sometimes find yourself trying to say, hey, wait a minute, guys, you know, Procter & Gamble does it this way and you should consider that kind of customer service mentality. Has that been a challenge? Um, To a certain extent, but I think a lot of agencies are getting a lot better, particularly the civilian agencies. I mean, they're really thinking about citizen engagement. Excellent. Citizen management. um, How do they make sure that they're offering the services in an expedient way. I mean, I think that that's really changed over the last five or 10 years. 
um, significantly, I think, and a lot of this because of digital transformation. It didn't used to be that you had a portal to go to to buy your health care or to file your taxes. So now you have that Good from, point. from the citizen perspective, from the civilian agency perspective. I do think I actually heard recently that there are only 20 percent, some statistic like that, of people that are under the age of 30. So, you know, Gen Zers are not going to work for the government. And that's potentially a problem because yeah. that's where a lot of the kind of new mm-hmm. blood and energies and ideas will come from. Um, so I think we'll continue to see a shift there and in, in an engagement level that's going to be relevant. I think from a digital transformation standpoint, some agencies are doing a lot better than than the commercial marketplace, yeah. the private sector. And then in others, they're they're still sort of behind. So it really depends on the agency. What's the what's been the blend percentage blend for your government business between the DOD and everybody else? I would say it's about 50-50. Got so it. half of our clients in the public relations portion of REQ sell to the government. And yep. of those half, so that's Red Hat and Intel and SolarWinds and ForcePoint, you know, those are large publicly traded companies. They will sell to both. Others might, we have a client that sells just to DOD and then one that sells just to civilian agencies. So yeah. it really depends. It's And the state and local is really increasingly important. They're really going through a lot of change. I was going to say state and local or SLED, as we used to call it, state, local, mm-hmm. and education are markets that, I mean, you're seeing it. I think especially of the 50 states, there's a wide variety Absolutely. of sort of, of, of uh, fluency in, in where that's going. Do you have state cl- clients at REQ or is that, is that to come? We do not work with state and local agencies specifically, but our clients do. Yeah. So they might, we have some clients that are in all 50 states. We have some that focus on maybe ones in the DMV. Um, Virginia team seems to be doing a nice job. We have clients that focus on higher ed. Yeah. They're really, really right for digital transformation and for um, and for evolving, there's they're ripe for disruption. A lot of higher education is that is the understatement of our show. <laughs> and we're talking with Elizabeth Shea. She is the public uh, executive vice president for public relations for the agency REQ and a great friend of the show and a, and a tremendous leader here in Washington D.C. You were a tech titan in 2017. Congratulations! <laughs> Thank you. You're a titan in in, in, in our book. So uh, ripe for disruption. Uh, I make a joke. I've spent a lot of time in the higher education arena. Uh, are your clients the schools themselves or companies that are trying to disrupt what a university means? All of the above? All of the above. We yeah. do not work with universities specifically. We work with clients that sell into universities, yeah. that sell into to higher education. Yeah. So, yeah, really looking to working on the change management that needs to happen within a higher education institution alongside digital transformation. Oh, and they're, and they're so change adoptive too. Yes, University. I I, we giggle, but uh, the audience, I mean, we're not making fun because we, it's, it's an important sector and a huge s- sector economically, but Bloomberg uh, com, the news service had an article recently saying effectively that American higher ed has lost its role on the planet and in our nation as a leader of what a BA or a BS or an advanced degree can mean for the price. Mm-hmm. Cornell's 90 grand a year. And then mm-hmm. their argument is it's not worth four times 90 grand to have a Cornell degree. Are you seeing folks turning the traditional degree into certificates and other arenas where they can, they can educate people for careers that are different than the old four-year play? Well, I think in the tech industry, you do see that. You yeah. do see that it's, um, you know, folks are more interested in going out and getting a a degree coding, and then yep. they can get a really nice job that way versus going to a four-year institution. And then there are others, if they're going into industries like accounting or, or what have you, then they're going to be looking for a more traditional degree. It probably depends on the sector, but we see a lot of people that do not necessarily have a traditional degree. So you were Santa tech. Clara, right, graduate? Yes. So, so if you think back, well, maybe you know, does the Santa Claras of the world, do they promote, do they have PR majors? I mean, how does somebody get into PR today versus how you got into it back in the day? 
Yes, you know, we didn't have public relation degrees back there or back then. Um, I do see that there are communication degrees. Yeah. I wouldn't say that they necess- that I've necessarily seen people come out of school that are our hires that have been trained in the day-to-day what really happens in, in a PR firm or right. in a public relations capacity. But the one thing that they need to know how to do, which I do think that are, they're being well-trained to do, is to write. They need to be able to write. Yeah. And so that craft is had sort of lost its luster for a while, and yeah. I think it's starting to pick back up now. Really? Um, yeah, I think That's there's a lot news. more. Uh, there's much more focus on it today. Well, I, I from what we've, we've seen for our, from our interns that have okay. that have come from some of the yeah well, really terrific. You're writers. probably seeing the cream as opposed to the regular milk because I got to tell you just my experience in as a venture oriented person that text and email has turned most people into not very clear writers. And mm-hmm. when, when asked, they're not often able to, even their their resume are, you know, there's errors, the, the language just doesn't flow. So I'm glad to hear that you're, you're seeing a better, a better I'm play I'm thinking on that. of like the four most recent hires that we have that are all in their early 20s, right out of school and um, two people we've made offers to before they even graduated, terrific writers. Far very out. Very proud of the, of the team and what's... Are they from universities out. here in the DMV, or are they from all over? Or um, what, what's yes, the... uh, George Mason, JMU. Um, Excellent. Co- yes. Hello, yes. Commonwealth. I know. Yeah, <laughs> it's terrific. State, it's a Commonwealth. <laughs> so, so speaking of clients that have government relationships, and returning once again, we're with uh, Elizabeth Shea, the executive vice president of the agency REQ. There was a leak. I guess was it Solar Winds, right? Yes. One of your, so they had a they had a privacy leak. I think you've mentioned that they're kind of one of the poster children for how to handle some of these challenges. I know we've had Richard Levick. Sadly, he he left us recently, was a guest in the show. He was crisis PR, mm-hmm. at least that was the, the moniker. But in that situation, do you have clients that have sort of a, a, an issue pops up that's that's intense? And if so, how do you form a team? How do you start to address the issue? How does your, how does REQ handle it? So for B2B tech clients and B2G tech clients, which is typically our client base within the public relations team, we don't seem to have a lot of crises. Solar winds was someone of a. I know it was. I mean, maybe a CEO departs or something yeah. like that, but right. nothing that's really catastrophe. Um, if we did, then typically, like the solar winds, they brought in a crisis communications firm that yeah. managed that, and I think they were they did a really really nice job of mitigating some of the crisis that could have happened for that. Um, it wasn't solar winds' fault, obviously. If there is some sort of a crisis, or if there's something that needs to be be handled, so we call it newsjacking. Like let's say that there's something that takes place in the marketplace and we want to, we don't want to look like ambulance chasers, but we also know that there's an opportunity to get our clients thought leadership out there. Then we, yes, we would, we'd create a team. We sort of look at our talking points, be ready to go. Oftentimes we'll even anticipate that if something happens, let's say there's a cybersecurity attack, we might be ready to go Yeah. with our clients positioning on what A or B or C could have done differently. Um, so that's, that's not uncommon for us to have kind of a news jacking approach, which is, don't ambulance chase, but be yeah. thoughtful about how you can but leverage. What's listen happening. for the siren, maybe on the side of the side of the building. Right, right. right. So, uh, a term that I found the first time I heard it, I was sort of like, "What the hell does this mean?" But sentiment analysis, right? Mm-hmm. And it became a huge play. A, a lot of companies invest, a lot of venture capital chased sentiment analysis across their social platforms. How do you and your colleagues at REQ track what a client cares about on social platforms? Mm-hmm. And maybe cut away the noise that they shouldn't care about, or or can that be done? Um, absolutely. In fact, REQ got its start as an online reputation management firm. So there you go. That was sort of the you know the the legacy business, and we still do that today. We still represent 
some very high celebrity net worth individuals, um, people that either want to be in the news or out of the news. And there so go. there are tools that we've created as an agency that are proprietary. We also leverage tools that are in the marketplace to see what tone is taking place. Is it green? Is it red? Is it yellow? Um, there's a story, I cannot mention the person's name, but the person was a, a, a rapper who had said, but I kind of like, like, it's kind of my street cred to to be down in the red. So, yeah. you know, wow. um, let's let's keep me looking bad, yeah. right? <laughs> so it's, all, it's all about your perspective. <laughs> yeah, so that's a really important part of all we do. So the online reputation management alongside PR gets us to be thinking about what's what's um, positive and, and what's negative and manage it and, and mitigate that. So it's all about, you know, our CEO, Trip Donnelly, is famous for saying, that you could bury a dead body on the second page of Google. So let's make sure that we uh, <laughs> I we, like that. We, we keep people on the first page. I'm going to steal that. That's good. So you got to attribute it to Chip Donnelly. I, I will. I will do so. So, um, what's your sense of TikTok as a player? I mean, obviously huge. Mm -hmm. People trying to shove it off, you know, ban it from certain states. Uh, I heard a stat recently from a reliable source, at least in my world, that a huge chunk of men and women under 25 think of TikTok as a news source. They sure. get a lot of their news from TikTok. Mm -hmm. Has that become sort of front and center and one of the platforms that you monitor for your clients? Absolutely. We have to monitor all of them, to, to be honest. It depends on whether or not they're active there. So different clients will have different clientele and buyer personas, if you will. So they may not live on TikTok. But for our consumer brands, absolutely, we have to monitor that and, and pay attention. And that's why we have tools. There are so many tools available, marketing technology tools, yeah. which is great because it gives us a chance to be more analytical about how we how we address some of these issues with our clients, and it allows us to then mitigate anything that might be potentially negative. You can never squash anything, but you can certainly try to put positive news out there or positive channels or positive signs um, through those channels. Unless you're that rapper and you want that red light blinking. It's, <laughs> right. it's Elizabeth Shea. She's our guest today on What's Working in Washington. She's executive vice president of the agency REQ. When we return, we're going to talk about what ChatGPT and AI are doing to marketers and also how people that sell to the government may or may not be so successful in selling to private companies. All that and more after this. It's What's Working in Washington. We're back here with Elizabeth Shea. She's the Executive Vice President for Public Relations at Agency REQ. I'm your host, Mark Walsh, here with Tracy Madigan, our producer, and we're excited to have her in the studio Great conversation so far, but so much more to cover. And here's topic A, which I did not tease, but I'll get right into it, which is the DMV. You know, this the lovely Washington market that we all love and enjoy. I know that you and some of your colleagues are instrumental in Mindshare. Yes. Which is one of, I think, one of the great models of kind of collaboration, learning from each other and behavior that other, you know, other marketplaces have some example of. What kind of, what was the thinking behind Mindshare? What, what, what are you most proud of in Mindshare's existence here in the DMV? Wow, that's a big question. I think yeah. we're going into That's my job. Is to I ask know. Big <laughs> I think we're going into maybe the 30th year, 25th year, 26th wow. year, I can't 1997 I have to do the math. At any rate, so it was founded by a group of people within the ecosystem um, that wanted to help bring together CEOs in this region for technology companies. And so um, and back in 97 there really wasn't a strong ecosystem, venture yep. capitalists and what have you to support those entrepreneurs and that's where it started. So the group comes together every year. There's a cohort, and then they go through classes. We call it, you know, one of a, one of my friends had called it a CEO class, and it's not really a CEO class. But you listen to other peers and people that have been through it before. How do you raise money? How do you exit? How do you hire? 
um, all the CEOs typically have very similar problems. So it's like a, um, you know, a group, a group education, group therapy almost. I mean, it's yeah. really a fantastic organization. And then, then when, a, when a person graduates from Mindshare, then they become part of the alum, the alumni group. And there's probably 1,500 alumni now. How many? 1,500. Wow. Over the last several years. And so the group this Fabulous. year is very solid, very strong. It's one of the best classes I've seen come through. I think there's a real representation of diversity within the CEO organization. CEO group. Um, I think the organizing board is very proud to offer their services without necessarily um, promoting themselves. It's more about just helping and enabling folks to to grow as a CEO. So it's, it's something that we're very proud of. My, my colleague Lisa Throckmorton and I are both on the organizing board and Steve Balistrieri from Morgan Franklin sure. kind of runs runs the thing. Yeah. And he'd be great to have on your show, by the way. Yeah. Well, there's so, yeah. a, a recommendation, <laughs> Steve. If you're listening, call me. Uh, I, I think I think literally I was one of the speakers in its first year in 97. I was at AOL back in the day. Oh, Remember sure. them, AOL? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I, 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 I appeared and... Uh, and then I, I came back. I was invited back, whatever X years later. But it just as a as a speaker, mm-hmm. it was f- a fabulous experience because oh, the great. energy in the room, both the people in the room were lapping up whatever crap I was laying down. So just so you know, <laughs> but also it was clear that they were um, respectfully learning from each other, which is Absolutely. the best kind of best kind of thing. But speaking of the DMV and and people here, uh, we talked about B two G business to government and B two B. One of the transitions that I'm spending a lot of time with at my venture fund is that people that service B2G trying to get business from B2B. Sorry for the acronym, listeners. Mm-hmm. The sales process, the kind of salesperson you hire, what they what they should be good at, what the churn is, very different arenas. What are you seeing in companies having success in transitioning from only being a government supplier to having commercial space or vice versa? What are some of the challenges and pitfalls? Well, I think you hit it <clears throat> right on the head with the sales process. The sales process is very different. Um, sometimes it's easier. In some cases, it's harder. It depends on who you're selling to. We have a client now that's in the satellite industry and had a very strong foothold in the government and is now trying to move into 5G, into selling to commercial yeah. um, telecom companies. And so it's just a different process. It meant hiring a different team. It meant having different marketing materials, going to different conferences. So everything is very different. And similarly, I've seen companies that are selling into the commercial space Try to move into government, and then that's a whole different, whole different ballgame there as well. Because you need contracts, contract vehicles. You, again, different sales cycle. You need a prime. It's a little bit more, predict- right? Exactly. So, so they're just different marketplaces, and sometimes it's hard to do both. Yeah. So to do both well, um, oftentimes companies might spin off a commercial sector or you know or a government sector if that makes more sense, just because the business models are different. You know. So, yeah. Um, one of my colleagues did some math that the, the mergers and acquisitions marketplace for government suppliers is so robust that the actual dollars that the DMV generates in, in M&A oh, is, sure. is as huge as the Valley, Silicon Valley, but we don't get the press because, you know, it's government contractor A buying government contractor right. B mm-hmm. and they service, you know, the, they're the, and the prime is Grumman and Grumman's doing the, you know, the wing design for the new drone or something. So this is not sexy stuff like an app. But in fact, it's a very robust mergers and acquisitions marketplace, which you've seen as well. Absolutely. In fact, so many of our clients, that's their what we call destination. You know, if they are looking to be acquired, we do a commercial or, a, excuse me, a, a communications effort just around that. Really? How to position a company for sale. Ooh. It gets very interesting. Do when, tell. Yes, I we love do. Um, so, yeah, we have what we call destinations, four destinations. One is M&A or fundraising. Second is lead generation. 
Third is recruiting, and fourth is thought leadership. So each each one of those four destinations I like drive it. different programs. So if it's M and A, then it means thinking about your Glassdoor profile, thinking uh. about your social media handles, thinking about your website, speaking to an investor audience. If you're looking for private equity, looking to um, if you're looking for a strategic acquirer, how do you get in front of them? We had a client once say, "Well, the company that I want to acquire us is in Silicon Valley. I want to get in the San Jose Mercury News, not the Washington Post." Wow. It's a different strategy yeah. if you're looking to position yourself for sale. In the GovCon space, very similarly, a lot of time what they're acquiring are talent and contracts. So they want to be a, they want to appeal to the person that's acquiring them, the company that's acquiring them, right. if it's a big GovCon. And oftentimes we see that happen right when a company moves out of that small business set-aside mint mantra because they, they have yeah. to compete with the big companies. Yep. But they don't necessarily have the qualifications. That, so the big company the will buy the book of business, really. Right, exactly. Yeah. So they want to be attractive. They want to they want to look attractive and not just have a homemade website. They need to look like they're much bigger than they are. Which is all about PR can often help. Exactly. So of the four <laughs> destinations, it's funny you mentioned Glassdoor. I have not heard Glassdoor mentioned much, but you your you and your colleagues still see it as an important platform for Absolutely. employee feedback. Yes. Really. Absolutely, because if. Especially if a company is acquiring another company, they're going to want to make sure that the glass door. They're, they're going on. They want to know about the culture. What are they acquiring? Yeah. Are there positive? Are there positive reviews or not? And Glassdoor is a pay-for-play platform, is just it? like okay. yeah, just like a lot of the other ones are. But it's still important. You know, you can still make your your presence look that much stronger. Not to not to drill down, but I mean, I always thought of Glassdoor having kind of a a negative bias. The people that were pissed off at the employer would go to Glassdoor, you know, the old negative oh, sure. about, yeah. like comments yeah. about the hotel or whatever. Is that not been your experience or how, how do you see well, that? Well, if, ha- if, if you don't have a good Glassdoor profile, you probably need to take a look at why you What's don't have on? a okay. good Glassdoor yeah. profile. Yeah. And there are ways that you can potentially, you don't want to fix it, but you do need to pay attention to yeah. it and look at potentially some other some other sites. There's There are sites, um, there's a new company out called Clutch. They're a local company actually. Yeah. A big fan of them. Um, also, they, assessment of employee. It's sentiment? an assessment of client engagement. Ooh, so having it's like a Yelp good. for business for services companies. Wow. So again, a local company. We leverage them quite a bit, and anyone that's going to be acquiring another company is going to do all their due diligence around yeah. around social media profiles or the digital online experience. So you just have to I've pay attention. Wondered, I'm sorry to interrupt. Go, go ahead. No, you just have to pay attention to that. I think and make sure that you're you're on top of it. Don't I be was, blind to it. I was wondering why there wasn't a Yelp for government suppliers that governments would subscribe to? Or is that what you think where Cluster is headed? Um, Clutch, I think. Clutch, I'm sorry. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if they have a government services side, but it would make a lot of sense. Don't you think? think about it, yeah. Yeah, like, I'm not using Boeing again, because that plane, I'm joking, but but something along those lines. Because Yelp, I think Yelp has established itself relatively strongly now. Yeah, agreed. I I mean, I, I don't know, but I use it all the time. Agreed. Yeah. And we end up having leads come in through Clutch because we people go and they'll look for, you know, digital marketing agency and we'll come up go. because we have reviews that are R-E-Q. positive. REQ. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's something called AI that apparently is going to be a big <laughs> deal. So I've been told. But AI seems to just, I mean, everything now is AI. It's kind of like what, remember back in the day when the internet was starting, it was everything had an E, like e-business and right. e-that and e-that. It was all goofy. But AI is m- much more than a letter before a, a business uh, uh, process change. And ChatGPT or Bard or all the others, 
What are some of the ways that you're counseling your clients to use or avoid or learn about or deploy AI? So I actually recently did a, a Technology Marketing Alliance um, sort of webinar group thing on ChatGPT specifically, and we had uh, an editor from Adweek come in and speak who's been following AI in the marketing arena for 10 years, something like that. So we're just we're counseling that everyone needs to be aware of it and be yeah. thinking about it and don't put your head in the sand. We have some clients that are are forbidden to use any kind of AI tools, particularly wow. ChatGPT. So it's something that we are trying to counsel against and not necessarily yeah. have them be afraid of it. We see that there could potentially be some new roles emerging within the marketing arena. Some people are thinking, oh, the copywriters, like our copywriters are going to lose their jobs and our writers are going to lose their jobs. That's not really the fear. case. There's a lot of fear. Wait, I think, you don't see that happening or you think no. it will? Okay. No, I think, I think of course, it will help. Be, it'll be additive, but it's yeah. not going to replace people per se. It'll just force people into a different role. And I think that if people can embrace moving into a more strategic role, let ChatGPT do some of the, you know, some of the grind and yeah. then let the strategy, you know, the brains, us humans come in and, and enhance whatever it is that we create with ChatGPT. I mean, it's affecting, we can leverage it for job descriptions. You can leverage it for blog posts, but it's never going to be the 100% in the near future anyway. So one of the things that we've been talking about is really think about how do you query something like ChatGPT? That's, that's where the strategy comes in. How do you ask ChatGPT to do what you want it to do when you get the best kind of an outcome? There's actually talk about there being a job description that's of that query asker, if wow, you will. Um, cool. That that would be, that's where sort of like the, the data analytics AI comes whisperer. in. Yeah, exactly. That's a really good Good job title. Don't steal it. I'm going to use it. Right. Okay. <laughs> but that's yeah. fascinating. I yeah. think that's going to be a real job. You're right. And just like you had, you, know, you think that automation is going to eliminate jobs, it just moves people around. So we want to continue to upskill people to different roles and have them serve in a more strategic capacity and not be afraid of it. So let's embrace it. And if we don't embrace it, then I think... That's where I think people will get in trouble. I completely agree. Elizabeth Shea has been our guest today, Executive Vice President of PR for the agency REQ. We ask all of our guests, Elizabeth, uh, one last question, which is, if you ruled the world, uh, what would you make start happen? What would you start making happen? Or what would you stop happening that you disagree with? Or, or both? And our guests have had a wide variety of answers, but what say you? Well, I would say that it's probably a combination of two. Having, having be wonderful people stopped being so divisive yeah. and could come together somewhere in the middle to think about collaboration. Let's all think about the future. And so it's with growing frustration that I see divisiveness continuing, particularly in this country, but all over the world. Mm -hmm. So that would be what I wish we could eliminate. It's a wonderful goal. I share it completely <laughs> with you. Uh, living in the political world, as I often do, it's very difficult to get politicians, as you know. Mm -hmm. Very difficult to get politicians to not focus on what gets turnout, and turnout is often rage induced. So I share I share your goal, <laughs> okay. Elizabeth Shea. But I, I very I hope, lofty. I hope we have, well. No, but lofty goals, <laughs> right? Aim aim high. Yeah. Uh, aim high. But then, anyway, it's Elizabeth Shea. She's the executive vice president of public relations for the agency REQ. A great fan. A gr we're, we're great fans of hers, and she's been a tremendous presence here in the marketing arena and the DMV, and now all over America and the world. Elizabeth, thanks for being with us. Thank you so much. This is wonderful. The team behind What's Working in Washington is a great group. The executive producer and editor is Tracy Madigan. Online content, Anna DeGraff. And that theme music you enjoy, performed by the Sunbathers.
You've been listening to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast.